What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. My name is Nathan King, and we've got some pretty big developments going on in the past week since we last recorded. If you've been living under a rock, Texas and Oklahoma are likely coming to the SEC. All signs pointing to that over the past week. It started with a report that they were inquiring about it, and then more details started to be unraveled and showing that They've had interest for the past year, a couple of years, kind of back channel uh, conversations have been happening between the conference and Texas and Oklahoma. And we might have had the final blow to the Big 12. We're going to talk about that a little bit here with Chris Hummer, our 24-7 sports national college football reporter, who does a great job of covering all things college football, but has had his finger on the pulse of this whole process as well. But this morning... Um, as we record this, let's see, record this on Monday, the 26th, both schools, Texas and Oklahoma, basically told the Big 12, see ya, we're not going to be renewing our media rights in 2025, which had been a year that a lot of people had been looking at, um, you know, and thinking about when Texas and Oklahoma could leave. But now it's looking like they could do it even sooner, depending on what happens with the media rights, depending on whether they want to buy things out. But definitely all signs pointing to Texas and Oklahoma being able to officially join the SEC. Obviously, things wouldn't take effect for a while, but a lot of people are thinking this might happen as soon as sometime next week. So what does that mean for Auburn? We're going to get into that a little bit with Chris here in a minute, but this news obviously affects the SEC as a whole, and it affects college football. Conference realignment is going to become another big thing. I know it was about 10 years ago um, when the shift started happening all across the country. SEC was included in that. Obviously, Texas A&M and Missouri joined the SEC, made it 14 teams, but we might be pivoting toward an era of super conferences. We'll talk about that with Chris as well. We'll talk about the pod system and what I'm most interested to see in these next few years, if slash when, seeming more like when Texas and Oklahoma do join the SEC, what does that mean for a team like Auburn and a team like a Texas A&M and just kind of those middle of the pack? Obviously, Auburn has been better than middle of the pack, but I guess good, not great. SEC programs that are capable of reaching really big heights that are capable of competing for conference championships that have national championship pedigree. What does it mean when a big roadblock like an Oklahoma program that's been a playoff contender is put in their way? I do think the 12 team playoff is going to go a long way to help that. Um, I think you're going to get, you know, multiple, multiple SEC teams in every single season, especially when you look at the strength of schedule, you probably don't even have to you know, you don't you definitely don't have to go undefeated or 11 and one anymore. Once the 12 team playoff becomes a thing, you can definitely lose a few games. And so that might kind of change the complexion of, of what a regular season feels like in the SEC and across college football. But things are going to change. We're going to have to adapt and we will definitely see what direction it takes us. So we'll get into that conversation with Chris right now. And then after that, we haven't had a chance to talk about media days. There really wasn't a ton to go over from Auburn's perspective, but we'll get into just a few little details and a few little notes and quotes um, in the end of the podcast. We'll get to our interview with Chris right now. So Chris agreed, Chris Hummer, the national college football writer for 24 seven sports agreed to come on the podcast a couple days ago. Um, and then we got some big news on what we were going to talk about this morning. And that is obviously with Texas and Oklahoma. And it seems like this, this might be the nail in the coffin for the big 12. Chris, uh, I'm interested to get, your thoughts on it, but obviously the conference with the commissioner, we're trying to 
reel them back in and kind of get Texas and Oklahoma to reassess things and reconsider staying in the conference. But both the, both of the programs sent a joint letter this morning informing the Big 12 that they will not not renew their rights in 2025. So is that the end of things, Chris, for Texas, Oklahoma, and the Big 12? And does this completely signal that they're gone to the SEC, or is there any hope left for the Big 12? Um, I think I'll take the second question first. I I would be very surprised if anything got in the way of Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC at this point. Um, just talking to people, this has been going on secretly for quite a while now. I think the Big 12 was caught by surprise, but um, Texas and Oklahoma had been kind of playing this quietly for a long time, and I would be I would be shocked if anything got in the way with it. Got in the way of that. That said, realignment is tricky. Um, Texas was very much heading to the Pac-12 about a decade ago, and that got stopped, so anything could happen. But I, I would be very surprised at this point if Texas wasn't a member of the SEC and Oklahoma wasn't a member of the SEC sooner rather than later. I know um, they said they're willing to play out that grant of rights through 2025, but I would expect it to be a lot closer to 2023 or 2022 than 2025 uh, for those two schools to join the SEC. As for the Big 12 portion of that, I think that's I think that's a lot more up in the air. There are obviously eight remaining members. I think what's interesting about the eight is none of those eight are really traditional powerhouses, especially in football. So there's not really one attractive team that can get parachuted somewhere else um, or a really attractive team to build the conference around. So that could either work for or against the Big 12 in that way. I know for a fact that there are some teams in that league that are having discussions with other leagues. It's prudent for them to, you have to look out your best interest right now. We just saw Oklahoma and Texas take an ax to the league behind their back, looking out for their best interests. The other teams uh, remaining are going to do the same, but I know the big 12 is going to be really active. They have to be at this point and trying to add more members to kind of keep the conference afloat. Um, they're going to try to raid the American athletic conference. I get the feeling the Americans probably going to try to do the same thing in the big 12. They have to protect themselves from the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the ACC, from poaching their members. And if the Big 12 smart, I don't think it'll work, given the state of the conference. They'll also make overtures to teams like Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, to see if maybe they'd be interested in coming to the Big 12 as well. So there's a lot going on, and I don't think the Big 12's fate is necessarily sealed yet, but there's certainly a lot of work for that league to do. Seems like kind of, I mean, it's an all-out war right now in terms of conferences trying to grab other teams and court other teams like you talked about, but it seems like the SEC is the only one really safeguarded from that because they're the ones who make their own decisions. They're the ones who have all the money. Uh, Chris, 2025 is, is that figure, that number that's going to be thrown out there a lot as it pertains to the big 12 rights with Oklahoma and Texas. But like you mentioned that they can pay a buyout, correct. To get out of that before 2025. And, and it's not much, I mean, it, it's a big amount. It's like 70 million, right. But it, I mean, that's not much more than you're seeing schools pay to like buy out coaches. Is that what is probably going to be, um, the most likely course of action if they're on the field in the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, 70 to million is a pretty significant sum coming out of a pandemic and it's not just 78, 70 to 80 million. It's also the money they're not receiving from their television rights. So if Texas were to leave, let's say in 2022 with four years remaining on the deal in Oklahoma as well, sorry. Um, my Texan is showing right now uh, and talking. They would um, not only owe 70 to 80 million to kind of get out of it, that's the buyout up front, but they would also lose their television revenue over the next four years. So you're talking about $180 million, give or take um, some money. And then for Texas, you also lose $150 million that's left on the Longhorn Network deal. So Texas is losing over 300 million plus having to pay 80 million up front to make the jump. So 
it is tricky, but I, I'm definitely of the opinion that they'll figure out a way to make it work and get out of the conference sooner rather than later. This is definitely a long-term play by both programs. Um, the SEC, when the new ESPN deal kicks in, is probably going to be distributing over $50 million a year to its members. Um, Texas is going to make this up in the long run. So if that's the case, like I can see Texas kind of pushing its way out early just because things are going to get super uncomfortable <laughs> for everybody in the room. Imagine living with your like ex for like four years because your lease had time left on it. Like it's not going to happen. And I would be shocked if that happened with the big 12 in uh, Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah. And then you just go and date the, uh, the rich guy who's got all the money um, with yeah. the SEC. I mean, like you said, I'm glad you brought that up because the SEC is going to be pretty much synonymous with ESPN here in a few years. And that's something that I don't think enough people are paying attention to. Like you said, it's going to be a long play. Is this going to turn into just four power conferences or where do you kind of see the direction of, of realignment going? Because, um, you know, I, I like what Josh Pate talked about last week and that, um, you know, maybe it could develop more into an NFL model, but regardless of what it's going to look like, it seems like the, the conferences of the past and kind of, paying more attention to, to, you know, the tradition of things is kind of going out the window. And now we're just looking for the biggest and the best possible product to put on the field every year. Um, what does realignment look like to you here in the next few years? Or is it something where we're jumping the gun a little bit in Texas and Oklahoma don't necessarily have to, to be, you know, create a splash for everything else? I mean, this is just one man's opinion, but I, I agree with Josh kind of on this. I think this is kind of the beginning of the end of college football as we see it. I don't know if it'll happen in this round of realignment, but I do think eventually we're going to be in a situation where we have maybe 50 teams, 40 teams, whatever the number looks like, and a super league essentially where kind of regional rivalries are dead and we play national college athletics and it's essentially an NFL feeder more than it already is. So I, I don't know if I'm looking forward to that day, but I think that's what we're heading to eventually. As for the short term, short term, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, it really depends on how aggressive other conferences are. Greg Sankey, I think, is a really interesting guy. Like he's certainly made a big power play in college athletics with adding Texas and Oklahoma here. He was already probably the most powerful person in college athletics. He is probably unquestionably that now, especially given how hamstring the NCAA is with Mark Emmert. I would not be shocked if over the long term we only have two or three conferences left, but that's that's pretty significant change in this round of realignment. I think the more likely scenario is we have four major power conferences, potentially a fifth, depending on what happens with the Big 12 and the American and how they kind of uh, sort things out. But over the long term, I think we're headed to a model where it's more NFL-like, um, it's more sterilized, it's not quite as much like college football, but I, I don't know if we're going to see that in the next five years necessarily. Now, kind of zeroing in on the SEC, because obviously, you know, pertaining to Auburn, um, it seems unlikely at this point that you're going to go with like, you know, you got 16 teams. It seems unlikely you'll go with eight teams in each division. I think the pod system has been gaining momentum over the past few years. That, that seems like the smartest route um, in terms of running your, your season efficiently. What is bringing in teams like Texas and Oklahoma? You know, Oklahoma is, is trying to be Alabama. I mean, they're, they're a playoff contender every year, obviously things can change. And then Texas, you know, it's got a pretty good first year head coach right now. Seems like they could be making waves here in the near future. What does this move, assuming, like you said, it happens in a couple years, what does this mean for the rest of the SEC teams that are at a good, not great stage right now? Auburn, LSU can easily get back there. We saw it a couple years ago, but teams like Texas A&M, Ole Miss is trying to reach that group. What does it mean for those teams that you think things will be pushed back for them a little bit in terms of their progression as programs or, I mean, is everybody going to just kind of benefit from this thing, especially with the 12-team playoff coming up? 
Well, I, I would say at the risk of pissing everybody off on this podcast, I would say Auburn's basically going to say the same. Um, Auburn right now, as constructed, and at least it was under Gus Malzahn, I don't know how to go under Brian Harson, was a team that was capable of competing for a national championship or at least reaching the playoff once every four years or so, right? Like you have cycles and you kind of beat Alabama every once in a while. When that happens, you have your shot. So that's not going to change for Auburn, in my opinion. Auburn is still down the line going to be a team capable of reaching the college football playoff and making some noise when it gets there, if it gets there that season. I think it's the teams like Mississippi state. It's the teams like Ole Miss. It's the teams like South Carolina that are really going to suffer under this arrangement. I don't think Texas is going to come in and dominate the league right away. I might be wrong about that. Like things are going to have to change with that, but with Oklahoma, you just added another national title contender every year. And it makes it all the more difficult for those kind of mid to bottom tier sec teams to make some noise. I think Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Florida and Georgia will always be fine. They're always going to be contending for college football playoff bursts, but it does make the path more difficult. Um, I would say with the 12 team playoff, I expect the sec given this setup to have four teams at a minimum every year. I think some teams, sometimes you'll even see five. So eight and four is going to be good enough to get people in. But if you're a lower tier sec school, unless you're going to cycle up somehow in the pecking order uh, anytime soon, you're going to be making more money unquestionably there, but it's going to come at the cost of competing for national championships in football. But at, at the same time, like if you're Mississippi state, are you really competing for national championships in football anyway? Yeah. And that's kind of where Auburn's been throughout its history. Like you said, like with Gus Malzahn competing for you know, SEC titles, national championships every once in a while, that's never changed really regardless of the coach. And so it's, you know, it's not unreasonable. Like you said, to think that's going to be the case with Brian Harson. I want one more question, then we'll let you go, Chris. Appreciate you coming on. What are you most excited about in terms of possibilities with now conference realignment? What are some matchups that have really sort of piqued your interest now? Is it, for me, it's Texas and Texas A&M getting back on the field. I feel like that's probably your answer, considering you're a Texas guy. That's been a rivalry that's, I know it hasn't been dead for long, but it's that, that's been way too long. Um, I know you said that, you know, it, it kind of seems like the beginning of the end for college football, but what are some of the positives that you think in terms of the product we get on the field that could come out of this, this big change with Texas and Oklahoma and, and ultimately the conference is realigning? Yeah, I think beginning of the end is only kind of in terms of the product that we knew and what we watched. Um, I'm going to love whatever comes next of college football. I love college football. Right. I love football. Like, as you said, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be cool. Like if they go pods and like somehow Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma and Texas A&M are in the same pod, they'll play f every year. That'll be awesome. Like that's Southwest conference rivalry days. I mean, I guess big eight with Oklahoma, but regardless, it's going to be really cool to see Texas and Texas A&M on the field together. It's going to be really nice for, I live in Austin and I know I have a lot of friends who have season tickets for Texas. Like I'm sure they're ecstatic to maybe get Tennessee in South Carolina's uh, kind of teams coming to uh, DKR instead of Kansas and Kansas state. Like it's a pretty significant change in that way. So it'll be cool to have these big time matchups every Saturday. Like you'll see more of that. That's going to be awesome. Uh, the product on the field is going to be better. I don't have to watch um, Oklahoma slaughter, Kansas 60 to three anymore. So that'll, that'll be cool. But yeah, I, I think that aspect of things will be really nice. I, I will miss what we're leaving behind, certainly, but like the quality of football on the field is only going to get better as these teams and conferences have more and more money to play with. Um, they are going to have better strength and conditioning programs. They are going to be able to recruit better players. Like these big time matchups will happen more frequently. So from that perspective, it'll be really cool. 
Yeah, for sure. It's just going to get bigger and better over time. Hopefully better. Hopefully, you know, like you said, we'll see the improved product on the field. And like Chris said, you know, the 12 team playoff, that's something big that's coming up. If you're Auburn, you go nine and three, you lose to Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, you know, maybe eight and four against Georgia. You can probably still make the playoff because that's going to be a murderer's row. Um, Thank you so much, Chris, for jumping on the podcast real quick to talk about the news today and what it means for Auburn. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. We're going to get to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Auburn Undercover Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So not really much to get into from Auburn's time at SEC Media Days. The thing about Media Days is that it's noteworthy just because it was said at the event. You know, they, they can talk about the same things they've been talking about all offseason and at the end of last season. But because they said it in Hoover, because it's, you know, talking season, because the college football season in the fall is rapidly approaching. It kind of takes on a little bit more merit, but but there were a few things of note um, in case you hadn't seen from the end of last week about Auburn's time at media days, obviously the biggest storyline throughout the week that was asked to every single head coach and, and commissioner Sankey touched on the importance of it at the beginning of the week, but that was vaccination rates. And Auburn is not yet at that rate, um, which is the 85% threshold. Now, Sankey said he wanted SEC teams to be in that 80% range, but the reason that the 85% um, number is so important is because they're kind of taking the NFL model right now. Now, things could change, and Sankey admitted that, but kind of taking the NFL model right now, where if you've got 85% of your team or whatever figure they decide on, you don't even have to test anybody. Right now, it's, you know, they're kind of thinking, oh, you know, we'll have to test. Um, Obviously, if you're not vaccinated, you'll have to get tested kind of in the same way you were last season every single week um that kind of inconvenient part of things but if you get to a high enough threshold right now it's 85 percent uh players will not be required to be tested on a regular basis and then also you don't have to maintain any sort of mask protocol on your team premises and so right now that's the case obviously things could change you know covid changes every couple weeks in terms of you know the the outlook of things the delta variant is kind of throwing a wrench into the college football situation right now but Brian Harson said that Auburn right now is at 60%, which I will note, I think the Alabama vaccination rate is like 35% or something right now. So Auburn definitely you know, as a team is well above just kind of the, the general public in Alabama. And, you know, Harson said all the, all the things we expected, you know, about what the team has been doing to educate players, Dr. Michael Goodlett, who obviously did a phenomenal job last year at Auburn. Um, with the virus and getting everybody educated about that is continuing to do the same thing, except now instead of just educating about the virus and how to stay safe, like they were doing last summer, now it's about the vaccine and its benefits and making sure players have all the information readily available to them before they make um, a decision on that. So that's something to continue to monitor moving forward, obviously, as we get a little bit closer to the season, because Commissioner Sankey said that it doesn't, he didn't exactly use the words forfeit but it seems like they're, they're not, they're definitely not going to do um, rescheduling this year. You know, if you, if you don't have enough players 
um, because of COVID reasons and your opponent does, it really seems like now you're just going to end up taking that loss. And so teams will be in a much better position this season because of vaccines. I mean, players will not get it, you know, at a, at a much better rate, we hope um, because of, you know, their protection against it, but that's still something the commissioner and the sec as a whole um, is sort of cautioning against. And just from being at media days one day last week, you can definitely see the, the vaccine is, is a big part of um, their push right now. It's, it's a big part of their branding in the sec and, um, they're really kind of not only pushing to programs in their conference, their institutions, but they're also incentivizing Sankey coming out and being very transparent about what the benefits are if your team gets to a high enough threshold. And so only six of the 14 teams in the conference are at 80%, at least 80% right now. Auburn obviously is going to try to get a little bit higher and try to get to that level. And they're hoping to get to that 85% by the time the season starts. So in terms of actual football news that came from the event, um, we know the date of fall camp. We know when fall practices are going to start. Um, technically, they're starting on August 5th, but Brian Harson said that day will just be entirely, you know, back to essentially back to school meetings, you know, everybody getting back to football and talking about what the plans are going to be for the fall. And then that, so that's a Thursday. And then on Friday, Harson said they're going to split the team into young and old, kind of have a good way to evaluate the new guys, evaluate the younger players and where they stand, kind of check in and chat with them and see their measurables and, you know, what they look like after strength and conditioning and just get an idea. Again, these, these first couple, two days um, of practice are going to be getting an idea of what they want their game plan to be. And then on Saturday, they're rolling. That, that was Harson's exact quote. We're, we're rolling um, with preseason practices, getting ready for the season opener September 4th against Akron. Not sure if that's going to be a scrimmage. Obviously you look at like what Gus Malzahn's practice schedules were for Auburn at fall camp and you want to say that they'll be the same for Brian Harson. Then you look at his at Boise and they were pretty similar. So scrimmages on Saturday is probably what it's going to end up being, but we'll see, you know, he might have a different perspective on that. Although in spring practices um, scrimmages were on Saturday as well. So we'll see how those go and we'll see how often we as reporters are allowed to be um, up at the complex and up on the practice field with, with COVID in a much better place. Um, really hoping that we'll be able to have the same kind of access. But honestly, you know, if you look back at the spring and, Brian Harson was, you know, inviting people to practice and having us talk to him after practice and really didn't have much of an issue with that. So we're definitely looking forward to that and covering the team as we get into fall camp. Um, another fall camp storyline injuries for Auburn does not look like it's going to be too severe of a situation right now. Obviously, you've got Jeremiah Wright, the defensive tackle who tore his ACL at the team's second or first, excuse me, the team's, yeah, the team's second spring scrimmage tore his ACL in that um, practice. He'll be fully sidelined this fall. But Arson said he is the only guy that is going to be completely out. Now you've got guys recovering from injuries. Brandon Council obviously tore his ACL and then also sustained a shoulder injury this offseason. Savian Capers, the wide receiver, had a foot injury. Two other wide receivers, um, Shedrick Jackson had a lower body injury. J.J. Evans had a knee injury. Um, all of those guys are expected to be back in much bigger roles. They were either limited or completely held out of spring practice. Most of the guys I just mentioned weren't able to go at all in spring practice. Then you've got guys like Zion Puckett, who were limited in a big way. Amari Harvey, the freshman four-star defensive back, safety kind of nickel guy. Um, he was in a non-contact jersey in spring practices. But Arson said all of those guys, he said, quote, there are a couple little hamstrings here and there. I think we rolled an ankle the other day, but everybody should be good to go as far as when we start. We should have everybody there that first practice. That was kind of the, the big one. Jeremiah is still doing his rehab, won't participate, but we should have everybody out there. Knock on wood, the goal is to keep everybody healthy so 
that's a positive thing for Auburn when you look at what happened in spring ball. Um, a lot, a lot of injuries that happened in the off season before spring practice began, we got to the beginning of spring practice and, oh, is this guy injured his shoulder and this guy, you know, messed with his knee and this guy is still recovering from this surgery and this guy got hurt in workouts. And so, um, Auburn was pretty thin at a handful of positions, especially wide receiver. I'm really interested to see what kind of look that wide receivers room takes on now that it's got three guys back who are not only, you know, two of them are definitely going to be probably starters, Shedrick Jackson and, and Xavier Capers, at least have starting experience kind of starting adjacent roles in that offense. And then JJ Evans will be looking for that as well. He's a former four-star prospect. who will be looking to break in to the lineup. So in terms of what we got from Auburn's representatives, obviously, you know, Brian Harson was there, but then Bo Nix and Owen Papo, the SEC only had two guys there for each team this year. There's a lot of what we had heard before. Now it was uh, good to be able to talk to them about some of the guys who have come on campus recently um, some of the transfers who are now enrolled. The rule is that until a guy is enrolled in school, you can't say his name um, because it's a recruiting. He's technically, he's still an open recruit. Um, so you can't uh, talk about him in particular, but they were able to do that. Obviously the biggest one that was asked about most was TJ Finley. Uh, Bo Nix did, said he, did say that he's developed a good relationship with TJ and he's actually helping him with the playbook. Nick said, hey, he remembers what it was like being a freshman and coming in and learning a new offense. And you know, obviously he had the advantage of getting to know Mike Bobo in this system and Brian Harson, obviously them putting that offense together, more pro style system. He had the advantage of getting to know them in spring ball. Finley did not. So he's been helping Finley this off season kind of pick up on the, on the playbook. And a lot has been made of that quarterback quote competition. Um, we will see, obviously, you know, Bo Nix getting the nod for sec media days, I think is a big, um, pointer to the fact that he is a team leader right now, and he is going to get a big, big benefit of the doubt when it comes to this quarterback competition. And it's really difficult for a guy to come in and fall camp like TJ Finley without spring practices and win that job over. But he's a guy that this coaching staff really likes. We've heard a lot of good things about his talent level um, from people behind the scenes in the program. And Auburn brought him in to be a guy that they're going to turn into, you know, kind of a project player, build him up over the next couple of years. But we'll see what he can do right now. Obviously, he's got five games of SEC experience and Bo said look I mean this isn't this is nothing new to me I'm used to competition competition makes me better obviously he's only had one you know his first three years at Auburn now two of them are going to be um, a quote quarterback competition he definitely was in one his freshman year when he had to beat out Joey Gatewood to win the starting job in 2019 and then right now it looks like he'll have TJ Finley sort of nipping on his heels um, a little bit but and then on the flip side over to Owen Papo who is Auburn's representative from the defensive side of the ball, really kind of the same things again that we had um, reported on in the spring. There really wasn't anything groundbreaking. I did ask him on the main stage though, about those three freshmen and those three freshman linebackers talking about Wesley Steiner, Cam Riley and Desmond Tisdall from last year's class, because look, they, they were transparent last year. Those guys just straight up weren't ready after KJ Britt went down. And obviously they were without Chandler Wooten, getting him back is big for that linebacker rotation, but after those guys went down, they were pretty thin at that position, and they weren't uh, they weren't ready. Those guys, those freshmen, they just weren't ready to play. Kevin Steele was transparent about that. Owen Papo and Zacoby McLean just said, "Yeah, I mean they're they're not prepared um, to be in an SEC game every single week." And so, obviously, they didn't say this, but they didn't want them to be a liability, and and they did think that it was they were better suited putting Owen Papo and Zacoby McLean taking 85, 90% of the snaps at linebacker in a game and getting really tired out and, and, and kind of burning through it every single game. They did think that was a better thing for their defense than putting in those younger players. And so 
Obviously, you can't have that happen this season. Chandler Wooten does help out your depth, but I asked him about those three guys, and he said they've all been studying the playbook. Um, he singled out Wesley Steiner, which is not a surprise if you followed him at all during his recruitment to Auburn as a high school player. He's definitely a guy that could be a KJ Britt type, Deshaun Davis type, really Owen Papo type. Owen's obviously taking up that mantle um, in, a, in a good way this offseason of being that leader in the middle of the defense for Auburn at linebacker. He's got the athletic skills. He's a guy that's just puts up crazy numbers um, in the weight room, but he's been doing a good job of getting after that playbook going after Owen and Zacoby and Chandler and always asking them for their advice and opinions and how to get better as a defensive player and how to learn that defense a little better and, and be prepared for a bigger role. So those three guys are really going to be in line for bigger roles this season. Now I, I kind of hesitate because you've got your three guys at the top. You've got Owen, you've got Zacoby, and you've got Chandler Wooten. And I don't know if you necessarily need a super deep rotation. I do think Cam Riley is a little bit more of your flex player. He's you know, six foot four, six foot five. Um, can play on the inside and the outs. He can be a box linebacker. He can creep down to the line of scrimmage. He like he might give you a little bit more position versatility. And then if you need a backup middle linebacker, Chandler Wooten's your guy. You know, I don't know if Wesley Steiner is exactly your guy right now. So, but the reason that those guys are notable for this season, and I'll wrap this up, is that I just think it's notable to kind of monitor their progression because I don't I don't know if any of those three veterans are going to be here in 2022. Um, Owen Papo can have an all SEC type season this year, and he can be a high NFL draft pick. So Kobe McLean is already expecting, he's a senior. He's expected to be a pretty good draft pick. And then Chandler Wooten is a senior expects this to be his final year at Auburn as well. So those guys are waiting in the wings and they're prepared to be moving up in 2022. So it'll be important to watch how they progress in their one final season, kind of learning from these veterans. And then in terms of, you know, I don't really think there was much else that super stood out to me from what um, Brian Harson said. He did have some some interesting stories to talk about. I mean, he talked about the time that if you haven't seen it yet, um, that the 2013, somebody asked him about you know his other his only game he's played in Jordan-Hare Stadium, which was when he was the head coach at Arkansas State in 2013. They played their season opener against Auburn. Um, if you remember correctly, I remember that game. Arkansas State wore those like, kind of gaudy gray jerseys with red letters. They, they weren't a very good look, but he said the players were really excited to wear them and wanted to wear them for the season opener. Um, and so he had to ask Gus Malzahn about it because the two sides have to agree if you're going to play color on color. Um, you know, it's kind of a dark gray jersey. It would be a home jersey normally for Arkansas State and then Auburn wore the Navy. And he said that Gus Malzahn, as that was his first game at Auburn, agreed and said that would be fine. Um, you know, no problem. And then he said right right before the game, I kind of don't know if it was you know, right before the game started or in the week leading up to game to the game when it was too late to, to change. But Malzahn kind of pulled the rug out from under and said, uh, and I guess told the SEC or told the, the rules people or whatever and said, um, no, you know, that's that's distracting for us and we need them to be wearing white and we don't really approve of that. And it was too late to really change it. And so uh, Gus Malzahn accepted a pair of 15 yard penalties against Harson. So Harson's team was penalized. He kind of pulled the rug out from under him a little bit. So that was an interesting tidbit and kind of talking about that game. I don't really think anybody knew that's how that went down with those. Jer I mean, maybe those back in 2013, I obviously wasn't even really following Auburn back then. I was a young lad. So um, I don't really know if that's how things went down back then, but anyway, yeah, Harson was, he was, he was long winded on the main stage and, and, you know, gave his kind of standard answers of, you know, kind of, filibustering a bit but also kind of really focusing on the football talk really not wanting to dive too much 
too much, uh, too much into questions that didn't have to do with football and really focusing on his team and his culture. He's going to hit that home over and over and over again until this season starts. That's what I keep telling people um, is that until he has exact game details and game preparation and how players are performing, stuff like that, until he has that to talk about, expect the same kind of thing from him. But speaking of that, yeah, it's, it's up. Uh, it's going to be starting next week. So we're recording this right now on Monday. So not this Thursday, but the next Thursday, things are going to ramp back up for fall camp at Auburn. So obviously we'll have everything covered for you guys. Um, that's it for this show. Appreciate you guys listening. Just wanted to get a quick one in today to obviously we hadn't talked much about media days and then uh, talk about the news with Texas and Oklahoma should be exciting. I'm really excited. I know that what Chris talked about um, with, you know, kind of the beginning of the end of college football as we used to know it. Um, but that's kind of been, and I, and I think he was definitely hinting at this. That's kind of been the way things are, you know, things have changed over the course of the last, you know, half century in the sport. Um, they're going to continue to change over the next century, you know, 50 years, hundred years. Um, and we're going to continue to adapt and it's continue. It's probably going to continue to be the best sport because it has been for a really long time. And I'm excited to see where it goes, especially in the SEC. Auburn's going to get a lot more interesting opponents here in the next year. You know, the next couple of years, we're going to see if they end up making that move to the SEC East that a lot of people have been wanting them to do. We'll see if it is the pod system. Um, hopefully, we get a little bit more clarity about that um, in the coming few months. Obviously, Texas and Oklahoma could join the SEC, like I said at the beginning of the show, as soon as next week. So appreciate everybody for listening. You can find every uh, bit of our content over at Auburn Undercover. Com. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. It really, really does um, help us out. It's the biggest thing that helps us out. Appreciate Chris for hopping on today. Our intro and outro music for the Auburn Undercover podcast is by Beats by Mordecai. That's at Beats by Mordecai. You can find him on SoundCloud, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you so much to him for hooking us up with that. And until the next show, I will talk to you guys later. Everybody have a good rest of your week. Thank you.